And so we've been talking about how, to, how, how can we become greater, and we talked about greater through service, and, 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 and today I want to talk about being greater through worship, greater by worship. And I'm hoping you give me some fresh ears today because I want to talk about worship the way Jesus talked about worship. And in John chapter 4, starting at verse 23, it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, true worshipers, which leads me to believe that, why did he have to say true worshipers? Because sometimes they're fake worshipers. He's actually said, those they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. All right? So he said, true worshipers. And how do, how do, what makes a true worshiper? True worshipers will worship the Father, watch this, in spirit and in truth. They will worship Father in spirit and in truth. Not watch, it doesn't say in convenience or logic. It says we worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is the part that I don't understand why I read through it so quickly in previous years. This caught me this week. It says it's for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That the Father's on the lookout for true worshipers. Not the fake stuff. He's not interested in the fake stuff. He wants the real deal. And in order for us to be true worshipers, he closed with this. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him. It's not even an option. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is the only way we worship. That is the only way we worship. You came here today to worship God. You came here today to engage with your father. And the scriptures tell us that the father is searching for true worshipers. And that's what we're going to learn, how to be greater by worship. Let's pray today. Father, we ask you right now, Lord, to do what only you can do. Give us fresh ears. Give us fresh eyes. I pray that your word impacts us in such a way that we leave changed. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to challenge us where we need to be challenged. Convict us where we need conviction. Comfort us where we need comfort. And guide us where we need guidance. Do what only you can do. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just stretch out your vocal cords. Say loud and proud. Say, today we are daring to experience real powerful moments together. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Who got your coffee in today? You better have your coffee in today. Coffee and notebooks. It's that kind of a morning. Worship. When you think of worship, what do you think of? What do you think of worship? When, you, when I say worship, what do you think of? You think of this, right? You think of this. You think of Liz jamming out. You think of Isaac on the keys. I don't know why. That's like rock, rock keys. We need some rock keys over there. Right? I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to get Isaac for Christmas? A keytar. Let's bring back the keytar. Would you do it? Right? All right, he said, sure, why not? I'm not going to reject you publicly in front of all these people. But when we think of worship, that's what we think of. We think of this. We think of service. I know when I think of worship, and, and this is natural, and I want everybody to be okay with this. Like, when we think of worship, we think of worship music. And when we think of worship music, we think of our preferences in worship music, right? And usually your preference, usually, not all the time, but usually your preference is usually the first thing you encountered uh, when it came to the presence of God, that, that the first style of songs 
that you encountered the presence of God. You know, maybe for some of you, and this is okay, I'm giving you permission. I know we're kind of a contemporary church here, but they were like, How you, if you're contemporary, why don't you get rid of these pews? Shut up. They were free. <laughs> they were free 99. That's why we have these pews. They look cool, but they were free. Um, but some of you are thinking like, oh, man, I, I, I still get down with hymns. Is that okay? Rock out with your hymns. Right? Who likes hymns here today? All right, there you go. Rock out with your hymns, right? Some people just like choir-driven type of music. Anybody like choir-driven type of music, right? Some people, hey, you, you're still down with that CCM stuff, right? That co- contemporary Christian music, right? Um, for me personally, my family, the first church that my family went to church together with, we went to church at a black church. And so the music that we got down with was some gospel music. Hey, hey, some Fred Hammond, some Israel Houghton, right? That's the kind of stuff that we, get down, we got down with, right? And so, so there are moments in my life where, like, yo, and I'm, I'm, I, need, I need to, like, be in worship, be in the presence of God. I put on some gospel music. Ain't got no shame in that, right? And so I don't know what style is your preference. And I want to give you permission to say that's okay. That's okay. You're, you're, you could pick the set list in your car any day of the week. Come on. And that's just an honor that we have in this modern day age. But can I bust our bubble for a second? And most of you know this, but I want to push us in this. Worship has nothing to do with music. In fact, the word that Jesus used here in John chapter 4 is a word called proskuneo. And you know what that word proskuneo means? One definition of it in some biblical dictionaries is like, the picture image is like kissing the ring of someone with a superior rank, you know. We're in Jersey, so you get this analogy, right? You have the godfather and any mafia people in the house, don't raise your hand. You're welcome here. All are welcomed. But what would you, you'd kiss, you'd kiss the pinky ring of the godfather, right? That, that's the image of worship. Or here's what the dictionary says, the Bible dictionary says. It says, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. Proskuneo. So Jesus said, I'm looking for some true proskuneoers. That's not a word, but follow me. I'm looking for some true proskuneoers, true people who are willing to fall upon the knees, touch the ground with your foreheads, and an expression of profound reverence. In the New Testament, kneeling or being prostrate before someone was to pay homage to someone with a superior ranking. So there is no worship, watch this, there is no worship without understanding the authority of God. There is no worship without understanding. If it, it's all about bowing down before someone with a superior ranking. That's what proskuneo means. So, so Jesus says those who proskuneo God must do it in spirit and in truth. Now, don't get worried. I'm not going to make you kneel down on these cold concrete floors. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Some of you are like, if you do, I'm not getting up. I'm going to die worshiping the Lord. Amen. But I remember, you know, I, I'm a recovering Catholic here. So I remember the Catholics, they have it real nice. They have the little kneelers, right? You fold it down and you will kneel down, made it real convenient. But here it's talking about kneeling down. Let me ask you this question. What was the next time you knelt down before the Lord? If I'm honest with you. It's been a really long time since I've done that. Really long time since I've actually knelt down, knelt down 
before the Lord. Look, some of you right now, he's, he's going to crease his Jordans. Don't do it. I'll do it for Jesus, but nobody else. But kneeling down is, is a form of worship. In fact, it is the definition of worship. And, and, and not in the sense of like, I'm not asking you to physically kneel down, but like, is your heart kneeling down before God in worship? Is it? And I think if we get this right, if we get this right, we won't portray that God is just weak God. A lot of atheists say, well, you know, one of the arguments against God is like, isn't God so insecure that he created us to worship him? He didn't need our worship. We need him. We, we, he doesn't benefit from our worship. You know what's something crazy? And some of y'all might not like this, but follow me for a second. Theologically speaking, worship is something that God can't do. It's only something that we do. God can't do it. If, if worship is bowing down to a superior ranking, there is no other name greater than the name of Jesus. He can't bow down to anyone with a superior ranking. So we created us to worship him. So we don't worship him because he needs our worship. We worship him because we need him. We need him in our lives. We need him as our source. We need him as our strength. That's why when we worship, when we worship, we become more aware of the presence of God. And Nehemiah 8.10 says this, it's the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in his presence, you know what there is? Fullness of joy. So there are moments when I am weak, that is the time when I need to bow down, worship him with my heart wholeheartedly. We were created to worship. And here's the big deal. You have to worship something. Because that is how you were created. You have to worship something. So if you don't worship God, you will worship something else. I would, in fact, say it this way. Sometimes worry is just another form of worship. Worship is focus. What you focus on, you worship. And sometimes when we worry, what are we doing? We're hyper-focused on a problem. Hello? We're hyper-focused on a problem. And what you don't realize is that what you focus on, you worship. And then what you worship, you imitate. You imitate. That's why we call to imitate Christ. How do we do that? We do that through worship. How do we get to worship? We do that through our focus. So when you're focused so much on your problems, you're worrying rather than worshiping. And then what happens, you imitate your problems rather than imitating the solution. That was way better than you responded, but I'll take it. And so that's what it is. And so you were made to worship. So you got to understand, if you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. For some of us, we might worship money or achievement or success or ourselves. For some of us, we might worship whatever image of a perfect family looks like, right? And, 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 and your family's so fragile right now. And I just want to talk to some of us. You're trying to make Christmas so perfect, right? And the pictures have to be perfect, right? And everything has to be perfect. And that has become your idol because you feel as though if you don't get Christmas right, you're not going to get anything right. And it's worry. It's not worship. Y'all getting this? You were created to worship. So therefore, we don't, we, we, we don't worship God just externally. We worship him internally when our posture is knelt down before him. Because he is the superior ranking. But here's what I do believe. I do believe that if we get to the place where our hearts are actually knelt down before him, then it overflows in an external way. 
It overflows in an external way. And I'm not teaching you this because I want a charismatic church. I'm not teaching you this because I want a Pentecostal church. I'm not teaching you this because I want some people, you know, doing cartwheels down the aisle, running around, singing praise the Lord. I'm not teaching you this because I want spirit dancers. Some of you, when you thought about worship, you thought about spirit dancers, right? You know, with the flags. Remember them? And people picking the grapes. Remember all those spirit dancer people? Right? Some of you think of it that way. And, and, and I believe, I believe that if you have a heart that's kneeling down before the Lord, it does express itself in a way externally. But in a way that's genuine. In a way that's real. I don't want us to be a charismatic church. I want us to be a biblical church. Psalm 100 says it best. This goes beyond personality. This goes beyond style. This goes beyond preference. Psalm 100 says this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Who? All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. I guess I'll come today and do camera if I have to. I, I, I guess I'll do security. I don't know why we need security. These people aren't scary. Says who? I guess I'll show up early to do sound. The Bible says to serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There you go. There's a superior ranking there. I know my place in the universe and I know his place in the universe. And then it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Do you see the imagery there? It's loud. It's expressive. But that only comes when your hearts knelt down. Because we could do that in a performance type of way, and I don't want that. Because here's why. True worship is powerful. True worship is powerful. You get some people in the room that really have a fervor for God. They're on fire for God. That greatness becomes contagious. And when they come together, it lifts up faith in the room. Worship is powerful. In fact, my hope is that our church becomes a church of the power three. You show me a church that knows how to worship. You show me a church that knows how to praise, and you show me a church that knows how to reach people, and that's a powerful church. That's a powerful church. But far too often, we have one out of three. 1.5 out of three, right? But show me a church that has all three, that you know how to worship, you know how to pray, and you know how to reach people. Jesus' prayer request is pray for the laborers. Pray for the laborers because the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. The recipe for revival is worship, prayer, and work. That is the recipe for revival. And if we could just get that, but first starts there with worship. Are you willing to kneel down before God, kneel down before his presence, and abandon yourself to what God wants to do in your life? If you could do that, I'm telling you what. Here's, here's my desire. My desire is that people become the primary attraction of fervent church. People, not the worship team, not the preacher, people. Truth is, statistically speaking, and maybe you encounter this, that people make a decision whether or not they're coming back to church within the first 15 minutes of being on your property. That's when they make that decision. People should be the primary attraction to our church. 
True worshipers should be the primary attraction to the church. I know they're leading you in worship. That's their title. But we all should be true worship leaders in this place. True worship leaders that are hungry for God, hungry for more, and looking for what God wants to do in our lives. Jesus said this. Here's how they'll know you're my disciples. John 13, 35 says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have a dope worship team. If you have good exegetical preaching. If you have an amazing children's ministry. Here's how they'll know you're my disciples. He says this, if you love one another. If you love one another. People should be the primary attraction. People should be the primary attraction. And and you people are true worshipers. I'm speaking that over your life. True worshipers. You know what my goal is? I hope this doesn't offend anyone. But listen to the spirit of what I'm saying. My goal is to never need another worship night. You know, sometimes I think they're I think they're amazing. Sometimes we have these worship nights, right? This was on a Friday night. We're praying over people and worshiping and everything like that. My prayer, if honestly, I, life is too short that like we make these things an event when it should be a lifestyle. And we get together and worship every single Sunday. Every Sunday morning should be a worship night. Every Sunday morning should be a worship night. Every Sunday morning should be a moment where like we're worshiping God so like with such greatness that I have to scratch my head to even ponder whether or not I should come up and preach. My, that's my goal, for us to be that true worshipers. And that's not, uh, that's not on the worship team. That's on you, boo. For us never to need a worship night because we have a worship lifestyle here at Fervent Church. We have a worship lifestyle. We're in, in, in our times of worship, people are coming to Jesus for the very first time. It's possible. I've seen it happen. It's happened here. But I think because of the distractions of life, we walked away from being true worshipers, bowing down in our hearts and really interested in engaging with a powerful, sovereign God, which requires us to bow our knee. But what's it, what gets in the way then? What gets in the way? What gets in the way of this, this sense of, oh, man, being in, in awe of who God is? I'm glad you asked. Point number one. I think first thing that gets in the way of worship is entitlement. Entitlement gets in the way of worship. What do I mean by that? I think for many of us, there's, let's call it what it is, and, and I'm preaching to myself. People don't want to learn from me. You want to learn with me. And there are times where I think, God, you could have done that better. Right? God, I had a better idea how to execute your will here on this earth. Could have done that better. Or... And it's not even towards God, it's towards everything, right? Because we live in such an entitled society. Let's be honest. We, we, we exercise that muscle of entitlement on a daily basis. If you don't like a restaurant, you could comment on the World Wide Web and tell everybody why that restaurant sucks right now. The sense of entitlement, right? If you don't like a, a show on Netflix, you could just say it right now. And this is not an anti-freedom of speech thing. I'm trying to attack the fact that sometimes we are so darn entitled. I miss the days when people just talk behind my back. I do. I miss those days. But now we got keyboard muscles. And you can just send me an email 
at 12.05 about the sermon I just preached. You could have talked to me in the foyer, but instead you got your keyboard muscles. All right, I see you. You know, we're so entitled. And listen, again, I believe in freedom of speech, but here's what I don't believe. I don't believe in freedom of reach. I think it's a responsibility that we have, that we have this opportunity to reach so many people in an instant. I don't think it's a privilege. I think it's a responsibility that we have. I look back at what, what would the apostles do if they had the internet or social media? I guarantee you they wouldn't spend it saying, you know what, that movie sucked. I guarantee they wouldn't jump on Yelp and comment how that Chinese food is really bad. And by the way, you need to go to China One in Marlton. That's my spot. You know, like they wouldn't, I don't think they would have wasted their time, but I think it all stems from the sense of entitlement. You know, we, we sit there and, and have you ever done this? Have you ever not worshiped because you were mad? Where are my salty worshipers at? Right? Never not worship God because you're mad. Mm-mm, nope, nope. I didn't like when Pastor Mike said this. You know, it's bad when you start snapping. I didn't like it when Jill said that. I didn't like it when Steve said that. I just don't like everything here. <laughs> so this is what you're going to get during worship. Worship leaders love this guy, by the way. Right? That's what you're going to get. And it's this sense of entitlement. We're called to worship God in trials and tribulations. We're called to worship. The book of James says, consider it a pure joy when you face trials of many kind. We're called to give God, ready for this one, the sacrifice of praise. Liz, Liz didn't say hi to me. I ain't doing, I ain't singing nothing, Liz. I'm sit right here. The sense of entitlement blocks us from worship. And why? Why does it block us from worship? Because we think, we think as though that we know better, that we can do it better, and that we are better. And we lose that sense of humility. We lose that sense of humility. And we get so focused on us. Entitlement even comes this way in church. Let's be honest. And I want to challenge all of us. Mm, can I say it? Can I say it, Steve? Steve's like, do it. I got your back. Some people are like, I'm going to show up late because um, I'm not into worship. I'm just into the word. That's entitlement. Dang, he knew that? He knew I did that? Yeah, I know. Right? And I, listen, I believe we're a church family. And we need to do things together, and that's a part of our worship, to do things as a family. I came from a, a church culture, I couldn't stand it, where the preacher, there were sometimes there were conferences and everything like that, the preacher would chill in the green room until it was his turn to preach and wouldn't even worship with the people that he's about to preach to. Or, and then even worse, the worship leader would leave during the message and chill in the green room and eat their green M&Ms or whatever they have in the green room with their Voss water. Voss, Voss, is that how you say it? Voss water, right? Sparkling, by the way, has to be sparkling. And then they come back out at the end of the service. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? What is that? What is that? This sense of entitlement that hijacks our worship. I don't like it, and I don't think God likes it. In fact, my Bible says that he rejects the proud. So this sense of entitlement hijacks our worship. And, and, and so that's prideful entitlement, but sometimes also... There's a sense of entitlement, too, even when the bad things are happening in our life, right? 
This sense of entitlement, like, I had a bad week. I can't come to church this morning. I, 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 like, I didn't just sin. I sinned this week. I can't come to church. This sense of entitlement that tells us that, like, since when, since when was it ever about your righteousness? Since when was it ever about your righteousness? It's about his righteousness. And let me remind us again, this is not a country club. This is a hospital for the sick. And that sense of entitlement will stop us from engaging the source of true life. And he came not to bring you guilt. He came to bring you life and life more abundantly. But that sense of entitlement, I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, the opposite of worship is self-consciousness. I think when we're so aware of ourselves, we miss it out, right? We're so aware of our problems and situations. And, and again, going back to worry, you know, like if I had a flashlight and I was to put a flashlight on this cup, the, 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 the shadow of this cup would be huge the closer I put the flashlight on, right? And I think, again, entitlement, what entitlement does is God, my problem is the most important thing right now. It's the most important thing. You should put the spotlight right here on this problem. But the Bible tells us that we need to magnify the Lord. I wonder, I wonder, again, worship doesn't benefit him, it benefits us. When we worship God and take our attention just for a few moments away from our problems, we realize how big our God is and how small our problems are. But entitlement gets in the way. Number two, so we have entitlement that gets in the way of our worship and I think shame gets in the way of our worship. Shame gets in the way of our worship. And there's a spectrum to it. Wherever there's shame, there's performance. So over here, you have the people who overperform in worship. You ever seen those people? They let you know that they're worshiping. You know? Right? They're all over the place. And, I, you know, for the most part, I love it. I love it if it's authentic. But there's sometimes shame, what is it? I got to let everybody know that I love Jesus. I kind of don't, but everybody needs to know that. Right? So you have this side of overperformance. And then you got the underperformance, right? You got that dude that looks like they were baptized in lemon juice. Because what are they doing? They're looking at this person and go, this person looks like a flipping idiot. I ain't doing that. Acting a fool over here. It's about Jesus. It ain't about you. Come on. But then you sitting there like this, mad at the world, and it's still shame. Why is it shame? Because I don't want to look like that. I'm not a religious freak like that. And they're both, not knowing this, they're both operating in shame. And if you've read any Brene Brown books, the opposite of shame is authenticity. And so what's in the middle is that if we could just authentically worship God, that it's not about me getting attention. It's about me giving attention. When the, in Psalm 100, when it says, I'm entering in with, with worship already in my heart. I'm entering in already praising God. You know, back in the black church, they used to say, mm, I'm going to go to church and get my worship on. And my challenge to that was, you don't come to get anything. You come to bring something. You, you don't get anything out of worship. You bring your worship. I'm bringing glory to God. I'm bringing amplification to God. I'm bringing my praises to God. 
You don't come and get your worship on. It's not here just to make you feel better. He deserves your worship. And so when I authentically know my place in the universe and then I authentically know his place in my universe, then it's easy for me to authentically not perform or underperform, but to truly worship the Father. And shame gets in the way of all of it. Because what is shame? Shame is just a a hyper-focus on you. Hyper-focus on you. And you know what it is? The first place we see shame in Scripture was right after. When sin entered the picture, so did shame. So did shame. Shame is the residue of sin. And if we're called to live in freedom, if we're called to live with Jesus, for Jesus, then shame should not have control over our lives. So there'll be moments where you'll come in and you'll go, I don't feel like worshiping. Definitely don't feel like worshiping like that. Or I need to let everyone know that I still love Jesus. Drop the shame and just say this, what does my God deserve this morning? And I'm going to give him that. What does my God deserve this morning? And I'm going to give him that. Y'all getting this? Last thing that gets in the way of worship. So we have entitlement, we have shame, and then we have certainty. We have certainty. I always like to tell on myself with every message that I preach. And probably the last few months, this has been a hard struggle for me. Like, I am a uh, Enneagram 3 any Enneagram people in the house? Enneagram 3. I am a uh, type A type of person. I am an achiever. Anybody in SDI? I'm a red on the SDI chart. It means like I'm just a go-getter and I just I love to be, I'm, I'm driven by success. I'm driven by achievement. That's, I, I just, that's what motivates me. And people who like achievement and success, um, we also like certainty. We don't like to mess with this ambiguity stuff. And the toughest part is that, like, during the pandemic, it couldn't get more uncertain than that, right? Remember that cute time we were like, it's only going to be a month. (laughs) It is two weeks, and then, oh, it's a month. Maybe just by the summertime. Two years later, I don't like that. I don't like the uncertainty of the future. I I I don't like it. I don't like it. And if I'm honest with you, it hindered my worship. Because 80% of my prayer life was consumed with the question, why? God, why? Why, why, gotta, why did this have to happen? You know? Why did this person leave? Or why, why did you do this? And again, and then when you mix my need for certainty and my entitlement together, God, you could have done it this way. This way would have been so much cooler. So much better. This would have been a way better testimony if you just did it my way. This would have been way better. But instead, he leaves me in uncertainty. And he reminded me, again, just a few months ago, where's your wonder? Where's your wonder? I lost it. And it's hard to be in awe of God if you don't have any wonder. 
And, and we want everything to be explainable all the time. And sometimes it just can't be explainable. If you were in a collective, we did a, a deep Bible study in the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians keeps on talking about the mysteries of God. The mystery of Christ. The mystery, the mystery, the mystery. I don't like mysteries. I don't like him. I'll watch a mystery movie, but you better wrap it up at the end. This whole to be continuous nonsense, I don't like it. I don't like cliffhangers, cliffhangers. My life is a cliffhanger. I don't want to watch it on TV. I don't like mystery. I don't like uncertainty. And it interferes with my worship because to be in awe of God, to say that he's an awesome God, it requires wonder. It requires these points in our lives to go like, okay, my family members have cancer. This economy's crazy. Inflation is making everything cost a lot more. I don't know what's going to happen next. Some of you are stressed out because you don't know how you're going to put gifts under the Christmas tree. You don't know what's going to happen to your relative. You don't know what's going to happen to your marriage. And your life's just full of I don't knows. And you think as though that's going to hinder your worship. But I'm wondering, what would happen if we just worship God anyway? If we just worship him anyway? Because even if you don't know, he does. What would happen if you worship him and you find out that you are my certainty, God? You are the only thing I could hold on to. And sometimes those are the best moments of your life. You don't recognize it because it's like really tough and, and it's difficult, but... Looking back, hindsight 2020, looking back, those moments where I, I couldn't hold on to my certainty and all I could do was hold on to Jesus, those are the best moments of my life. Those are the moments where I grew spiritually. We don't grow in certainty. I believe we grow in uncertainty. We grow in challenge. And to have that posture where it's like, you know what, I'm going to worship God even in the midst of my uncertainty. That I don't have to be, I don't have to explain everything. I don't have to know everything. You are God and I am not. And I was made to worship you. Proskuneo you. To bow down and worship you. That's what I was created to do. And the more I know my place, the more I let you sit on your throne and have complete sovereignty over my life. So I don't know if that's you. And here's what I want you to do. Let's all stand. And it's the first Sunday of the month. And if you don't have your communion cups, just raise your hand and someone will get you. We usually do communion on the first Sunday of the month. Peel back the first layer and grab the bread. We're going to hold on to the bread for a little bit. Because something just hit me. In, in Luke 22, you know, Jesus is leading his disciples. And what we know as the Last Supper. And the Bible says that he took the bread and he gave thanks. 
gave thanks before he broke it. He gave thanks. I want us to just spend a couple moments in silence, internalizing that last point for a second. I want you to start thanking God for the uncertainty of your life. Thanking God that you don't know, you know, some young people, you don't know what college you're going to go to. You don't know what you're going to do in the rest of your life. For some of you, you don't know what your health is going to look like in the next couple months. You got a bad report from the doctor. For some of you, you don't know what your marriage is going to look like. I want you to spend a moment thanking God for the uncertainty of those areas. Because in those uncertain, in that moment of uncertainty, the season of uncertainty, you're going to get to know your Savior more. The season of uncertainty is when you actually engage with God more. Let's be honest. It's, we forget about God sometimes when things are easy. Let's thank God for these moments of uncertainty. You don't know, but you lean into him because he does. He does.